Hey everybody, welcome to Artist Soapbox. Artist Soapbox is a podcast featuring triangle area artists talking about their work, their plans, their manifestos. I am your host, Tamara Kassane. This is Michelle Oko's second appearance on the podcast. We first spoke in early summer of 2018, prior to the Women's Theatre Festival in which she directed Denai Guerrera's play, Eclipsed. If you don't know that play, I highly recommend reading it. And I'll include the link to our previous podcast episode, number 37, in the show notes so you can go back and give it a listen. In today's episode, Michelle talks about what she learned from her directing experience last summer. She also speaks very passionately and with great vulnerability about the need for representation and inclusivity in the theater for women artists of color and for creatives with a variety of backgrounds and experiences. Michelle Oko is a local director, playwright, and actor. She is currently directing The Black Spectre, A Train Grown Cold, which is a radio play for Carrie Playwrights Forum. She is also currently writing a new play, The Voice of Tamar, Previously, she directed a well-received production of Eclipsed for the North Carolina Women's Theater Festival. Enjoy the episode. Michelle, thank you so much for being here. I'm excited because it's rare that I get to talk to the same person more than once on the podcast. We spoke in the early summer of 2018, when you were preparing to direct Eclipsed by Denai Guerrera for the Women's Theater Festival of 2018. Um, And that has since happened. Um, We are going to talk about Eclipsed today. But when you arrived for the podcast interview this morning, you said that you were excited to talk about some other some other things, which really is wonderful, and I'm excited to hear that. So why don't we jump into those, and uh, I think that you have something to read from a Facebook posting of yours. <laughs> Let's start with that. Okay, sure. And it was just kind of reflecting on my experience um, as far as a lack of representation. So um, I had just written, um, representation truly does matter. I remember growing up and getting a Nigerian Barbie in the mail from my father. It wasn't like the black Barbie we had in the U.S. while I was growing up, which were white Barbies they painted brown. Mm. This Barbie actually had black features and kinky hair, just like me. It quickly became my favorite doll, and it meant the world to me as I was stranded in a world where almost none of my classmates had similar features. This was during a period when the world didn't value full lips and large eyes. Natural hair? What? (laughs) Yes. That wasn't a thing. (laughs) Um, It also encouraged me to delve more into African and African-American history. I began creating flashcards of black history. On the blank side of my card, I would always draw portraits of my heroes. Why? Because representation mattered. Representation mattered when my white classmates asked me in middle school, what is that on my lip? It was just another contour of my lip. They just weren't used to seeing lips with so much shape and curve. Representation mattered, as my own black classmates couldn't seem to help but comment on how dark my skin was in high school and how that meant I didn't get to look like any black movie star. Representation mattered in college when I I considered pursuing acting and fast realized that as hard as it was to be an actor, it was darn near impossible to be a black actress. 
There were only a handful of black roles and still are. Just take a look at the casting calls. Really? Does the mom buying groceries really need to be white and the guy shoplifting in the background need to be black? Sorry, I'm nobody's stereotype. Representation mattered when I realized there just weren't any roles for me. Yes, representation matters. It made it possible for me to accept my own beauty in a world seemingly confused by it. And its absence made me feel isolated and defeated. Representation matters because it tells you who we can and cannot be. Representation matters and it has the power to shape who we are and what the world becomes. Thank you so much for sharing your words. How does representation matter in the theater world? I think um, it's a big issue of why there is such a disparity as far as women having roles in the theater. And then that gets even more dramatic when we look at people of color. One of the issues, I think, coming up, and I've seen this in you know, many different aspects, is we have a tendency to want to fit into boxes. We want to belong. Um, but part of the problem with that is when we focus on belonging, that also means excluding other people. And I think a lot of times we ignore this. Mm. Um, and what really caused me to reflect on it is during Eclipse, we did have a talk back where that issue came up. And the need for people to step out of boxes. Well, during that talk back, what I realized is that, you know, those of us who were leaning towards, hey, it's really important for people to step out of boxes, we were people who didn't get to fit into boxes. Mm. So um, I think it could be a very challenging when you do define yourself by certain terms and you get comfortable with that and don't think about what it really means to move beyond that. Mm. Can you give a more specific example of this being inside and outside boxes idea? Yes. Um, you know, I think it kind of came up some with um, my work on Eclipse. So um, I did that for the Women's Theater Festival. Ashley Popio is a director. She's amazing. She really has a beautiful vision of what it means to be inclusive. However, as I was working, you know, I came across people who didn't quite understand that. Mm -hmm. So there were a lot of people who, like, for example, supported, you know, more women, black directors, but didn't necessarily think about that that might mean also including people with different experiences. Mm -hmm. So for me, you know, I'm, as far as I say, I'm an attorney for food. So, <laughs> you know, that's how I feed, you know, that's how I feed myself. Mm -hmm. And I love law. But um, I also love theater and have always loved theater. And um, part of why I, you know, shared with you um, that, is that, you know, posting on representation earlier was because I had to make a choice of what I was going to do with my life. And the thing is, when I'm looking out and I'm seeing the opportunities that are available to me and I'm looking and in theater, I'm not seeing people who look like me then I have to come up with essentially another plan for what my life is going to look like. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's kind of that's what le led me to kind of focus more on law. Um, not only that, when I was in college, I was a single mother. So I did not have the opportunity to take a lot of risk 
that other people did. Mm-hmm. And um, I take, well, there were a lot of people who had a hard time kind of coming to terms with that difference in background because, you know, from their perspective, you know, I wanted to pursue this huge pursuit, right, then my background should look more like theirs. I see. I see. So in other words, only theater people should do theater. And if you don't have a certain type of experience working within the theater in a certain way, then you're not a theater person. Is that kind of what you mean? I mean, kind of. I mean, I definitely consider myself to be a theater person. Right. But I think if we're looking towards expanding more opportunities, then we also have to look at also giving people more opportunities to expand. So, um, you know, for example, if if now we want to encourage black women directors, that means that we have to also realize that that's a situation where most people who would be interested in black being a director and who are black women may not have thought that was possible for them. Okay. So that means that there needs to be an adjustment as to what we expect in our community and what can be welcomed into our community. Because then we end up getting into the same trap of not expanding, Mm -hmm. not becoming more diversified because we become a group that is set where you don't belong. So what kind of adjustments could we make as a community? Do you have some ideas for different types of language that could be useful in opening that invitation or cultivating relationships with people with a variety of experiences and backgrounds? Yes. I would say, number one, to start off understanding that when we say that we want diversity, that that means including people of different backgrounds. So that's the first, you know, first step. It's not a system where you just put it in a quota. It's some it's it's where you seek people who have that talent and who have vision and who have the motivation to bring a project to life. And like as far as the transition, providing that support and thinking about it up front mm-hmm. as opposed to thinking that they're going to come in and be in your box. Mm-hmm. And do it in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So it's it's offering some support, but also being flexible in the way that the project's going to unfold. Correct. Mm-hmm. Okay. Great. Now, your recent experience as a director of Eclipsed, I'm very curious about your expectations going in and the reality of that. And I don't know if it relates to some of the things that we're talking about or mm-hmm. not, but can you can you give us a sense of where you were when you started and where you ended up on the other side of that experience? Well, for me, um, you know, to go ahead with Eclipse and when I pitched it to the Women's Theater Festival, you know, it was something that I prayed on and felt that God was calling me to do. I was dedicated to it and I moved forward um, in that area. And I guess for me, my I guess maybe I had too high of expectations of, you know, belonging and mm-hmm. fitting in and support. Because I guess for me, and, you know, I was mentioning boxes. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm one of those people who never gets to fit into a box. You know, I'm an attorney. When I was in law school, you know, I had my child. I was part of parents attending law school. I was the only woman and the only black person who was a parent attending law school Mm -hmm. at Duke. 
um, at the time. Um, and then even being, you know, in situations where, like as a professional, um, I run into that where people want to define who I am. And they get very confused when I don't fit into their box. Mm -hmm. And always, you know, always having love theater. Um, I guess I was, part of it was hoping that, you know, it would be a box that I would get to actually meld into and um, this is my box. I feel yeah. good about it. Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> but um, at the same token, um, you know, that wasn't always the case. And there were lots of people who were very, very supportive. But then again, there were also lots of people who had the, you know, perspective of almost how dare you, you know, attempt this, mm. which was surprising. Coming from the perspective of essentially, I guess, going back to the box. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, in a sense, it was almost as though they wanted to tell me what I was trying to do. And it's like, no. Mm-hmm. What were you trying to do? Well, um, as far as Eclipse was concerned, I wanted to bring the story to the stage here in North Carolina and also present it in a way that was realistic and hopeful. One thing that, you know, came up, like one person brought up, is like, okay, well, this is about, you know, there's rape here, you know, it's going to be sad and depressing. Who wants to see that? But the thing is, also based on my experience, it was very important to portray that in a way that was hopeful. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I will say that also as part of my background, I, you know, I used to be a sex crimes prosecutor. And so I dealt with survivors directly. I myself am also a survivor. And I also grew up with many people who were survivors. And I will say that one of the things that was very important is the color that they still brought to their lives and the hope that they still brought to their lives and seeing some of that complexity. Like, for example, there's a line, you know, in Eclipse where they're looking at the girl and her response to being sexually assaulted. And the response is, that's not how I was. Mm -hmm. She must be faking. And that was a very common theme that I saw. And that was also something that I wanted to make sure was done accurately. I didn't want to just have another stereotypical situation. Mm-hmm. For the people who have gone through that, they deserve their stories to be told. So one of the things that's notable about Eclipsed is that none of these women fit in a box, right? They are very complicated. They are very much themselves, and they are in the process of really owning who they are. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious about the audience response to those characters. What kind of feedback did you get from people about this play, about the characters, about the portrayal of this experience, which is both tragic Mm -hmm. and also hopeful? Well, the audience, the audience response was great. So um, they had a lot of amazingly positive things to say about the play. It, it was really satisfying to see, you know, what I was trying to do actually translate into reality and to actually get them to pick up on that. You know, for example, you know, like with the set, you know, Alec, uh, Alec Heckler, he was my you know, set designer and did a wonderful job. You know, part of the thing is to be able to combine essentially a war-torn environment with a home mm-hmm. and to make it feel comfortable. So um, one of the things that was incorporated into the set was this painting of the Last Supper, 
it was satisfying to see one of the audience members, you know, come come up. He's like, oh, well, I noticed that. He's like, that was a nice that was a nice Easter egg there. Nice oh, that's egg. so fun when that happens. Yeah. When people get things like that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And it was something really, really small, but it did translate into the environment in the home. And it was subtle, but even to who was actually in charge of taking care of that home, because mm-hmm. that was the inclination of that character. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what about the cast? Did their understanding of these characters change over the course of rehearsal? And the deeper question underneath that is um, sometimes when we, uh, I'm going to speak for myself, sometimes when I inhabit a character on stage, it leads me to discoveries about myself Mm -hmm. by accessing different Mm -hmm. things that I didn't know I could access Mm -hmm. or couldn't in my daily life. Mm -hmm. And what I'm curious about is how this experience changed the people involved, and whether that's the cast members or you or the mm-hmm. audience. Can you speak to that a little bit? Um, I would say fairly significantly, um, and that was, um, I guess, part partially my objective, mm. you know, to go beyond that um, representation. So as far as, like, my cast, um, we did a lot of, you know, a lot of table work to kind of expand you know their vision of what it means so like for example starting off there were some characters that you know people had a hard time understanding and you know the theme of the women's theater festival women are heroes it was really important that that came across Mm. so it involved it did involve a lot of um discussion and personal reflection on what it meant um and there were times also where i revealed things about myself to help people better understand. So, you know, for example, there is a character who is very funny in the play. Some people at first didn't understand it, but, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, part of the, you know, part of the humor and her way of seeing the world is how she copes with the situation she lives in. But on first glance, it, that may be hard to understand. Mm-hmm. You know, I understood it very, very well. And, you know, unfortunately, when you're in a situation where you're dealing with trauma, it almost feels like a bargain. You know, like you're going to lose some of yourself and you have to bargain to see what you get to keep. Mm. Um, and in that case, that, pers- that, that character kept her innocence. The challenge there is for that to translate in a way that is not only believable, but is understandable. To do that, it takes a lot of breaking down of who those characters are, the world they live in, but not only that, to connect that with your daily experience. Mm. Not to see these characters as weak, but to see that they're strong and to accept the choices that they make. For me, doing this play was very therapeutic for me in a sense. And, and I'll just say that there was <laughs> um, a friend of mine, when she heard I was doing Eclipse, she was like, you know, she brought up to me, she's like, I see you in these women, mm. you know. Um, and, and I guess that's kind of what really stood out to me. And that also is what made it really important. So, you know, when we're dealing in a situation where we have a woman who is being sexually assaulted and she has a choice of whether or not to leave, and if she decides to stay, I think I ha- we have a tendency to be very judgmental. And, you know, that's something that I actually 
kind of struggled with because actually at that point in my life, I was going through a divorce and um, the end of, I guess, a rather abusive marriage. And well, part of what I was dealing with is to understand why I stayed and to not rip myself apart about that because I was. You know, directing Eclipse made me, you know, realize I'm like, oh, well, that's why I did. Mm-hmm. And um, I and it's, I don't have to be ashamed of that. One of the really rewarding things about seeing the play was to see how the audience connected with that. Because that was my that was my you know my fear um, to come in. You're coming in. You're giving a different perspective. So, for example, what I ran into a lot as a sex crimes prosecutor with women disclosing, you know, or situations where officers or the public would be like, well, that's not how she should respond. Mm-hmm. Oh, she's lying because that's not how someone who has survived this would behave. It was really rewarding to see the audience come out and expand their minds of what it means to survive. And um, I did actually have one person who talked about their personal experience afterward. They were in a situation where a friend of theirs was sexually assaulted. And then to see how the family didn't believe that person Mm. just kind of ripped them apart. But seeing the response in Eclipse showed them the diversity of experience and that there isn't one way to respond. And that's okay. The interesting thing about it also is it, you know, there was that that aspect, but also in how they saw the family, too, because suddenly they were able to now see that perspective of that family. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we have TV, which tells us how someone's supposed to respond. We you have movies that tells us how someone's supposed to respond. And if we keep falling into that box, we keep perpetrating a lie. So the most rewarding thing was being able to see people move beyond that lie. Circling back to this boxes idea, how do you think this production of Eclipse help people, or did it? It sounds like it did, but how did it help people negotiate the box idea? For for one thing, you know, I think they all started off wanting to put the women into boxes, mm-hmm. and seeing women grow and change through the production, and to actually have bonds despite what they were going through, I think really, really, really um, impacted the audience. And, you know, I, I did want to actually see the audience's response. Sure. Yeah, that's, part, <laughs> that's the fun of it for the director. So, um, you know, part of what I was observing, so like, for example, there was, you know, one point where um, there was an audience member whose response was, you know, much larger than I thought it would be. And it was something rather simple. It was the girl. And essentially it was the change after she left the compound. The girl didn't even say anything at this point. Um, When she walked on the stage, it was just a simple costume change. But that audience member got it. Mm -hmm. And the thing that got me was it was apparently so significant to her that she actually shouted, oh, no, meaning that she saw what the girl was giving up. Mm -hmm. Even before the girl said anything, interacted with any of the other characters on stage. The night that I was there to see the show, there was a remarkable amount of audience participation. 
And it wasn't, I mean, this is not a play that mm-hmm. encourages people to like shout things out mm-hmm. or raise mm-hmm. their hands or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty straightforward kind of classic mm-hmm. play format. Mm-hmm. But yet the people who were in the audience were doing just that. I heard mm-hmm. people exclaim some things. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of laughter. There was a couple of times when people were clapping. I mean, it was really invigorating for me to sit in an audience where people felt the permission Mm -hmm. to participate, and they also felt so engaged in the story that they couldn't help themselves Mm -hmm. from doing that. Um, So thank you for that work. When you think back to where you were as a director before this, is there any advice that you would give to your pre-eclipsed self now being on the other Mm -hmm. side of it? Um, Well, I would say kind of the transition. One thing that I feel that I could have done better was, you know, because as far as direction, really, I kind of got really into talking a lot about, you know, underlying. Because I was really excited about um, the, my vision and communicating that. But sometimes you just, all you need to do is tell people what they need to do. Mm-hmm. Do you mean less less talking or less, say more about that? I would say less involvement in the reasoning as opposed to teaching, you know, the actors, like, the underlying reasons for certain decisions, um, sometimes that could be burdening on mm-hmm. them. And sometimes they just need to know what they need to do. Right. I think it's really tricky to be able to parse that out. It's like, this is the information you do need to know that will help you do mm-hmm. your work. And this is just extra information mm-hmm. that will clutter things and will maybe even slow us down. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a really a decision that you have to make almost in the moment sometimes. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I know for myself personally, sometimes I get it wrong. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'm like, oh boy, now <laughs> and I've just added a lot of extra time and yes. involvement because I've just said too many things right yes. now. So yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, and, you know, circling back to the very beginning of our conversation, mm-hmm. talking about inclusivity, diversity, representation, what would you like to see moving forward, if you were going to direct something for a company, what is the ideal environment? What would you like to see in that experience? Mm-hmm. For one thing, you know, upfront support and it being discussed out loud, you know, what, like what it means to include people of different backgrounds. So I'll give you an example. So um, I used to do improv comedy with DSI. Like, at one point, someone had taken a picture of my son sleeping on a chair. And, um, you know, and they and they wrote on top of it, it's like, at DSI, we babysit your kids. But uh, <laughs> I don't like that. No, no. <laughs> okay. No, but um, the thing is, understanding that if you do want, you know, more women involved, yeah. that you probably need to think about that they may have kids. Right. And what adjustments are going to be made to that. If you want to reach out to people who have been traditionally excluded from theater, you probably need to think that they probably had something that they were doing while you were excluding them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and how are you going to transition them into, you know, now being an active person with more opportunities? I think those are all things that need to be thought about beforehand, not to just think, okay, we're going to target this population, but to think about that these are people with different experiences. And does that type of support sound like me saying to you, you know, what are your, how are you going to approach this work? What are expectations that you have for, 
for the different people involved and how can I support you? Like, what is what does that sound like for me to talk to you to give you the support that you want? And I guess that's the thing. The realization of that seems to be more of a conversation than even happens without me. It's because it has to be about your perspective and the assumptions that you're making before you even start talking to me. Mm. And what are some assumptions that I that are erroneous assumptions? Okay. Um, I guess some erroneous assumptions would be, I guess, that, I, that I'm there and I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have a vision. Mm, okay. And then you have a situation where you do have a vision and then people are like, well, you're not supposed to have a vision. It's mm. like, well, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then um, you get into the detention where it's like, okay, to actually defend that, I think clearly define roles. So being overtly saying that this is what this person is here to do, they're going to do it, get over it. Mm-hmm. And to have that to be clearly communicated as well. And then also kind of going back, you know, we're talking as far as like women. So beforehand, right, before you even set up, you know, the system, think about beforehand how you're going to deal with child care. If you're in a situation where like, for example, for, you know, Eclipse, it was really awesome to you know, be able to have, you know, a play where we were, you know, all black female. The other part that kind of was a challenge was realizing that being black didn't automatically mean being African-American. So um, my background, um, I'm half Nigerian, half, half Creole. And then also, you know, many of my actresses also had um, African backgrounds, many of which actually were Nigerian. But the thing is, if you come in and you're thinking, okay, this is what it means to be a black person, and you don't allow for those cultural differences, you're going to be very confused. Mm-hmm. So um, kind of to get people to break, I mean, and that kind of came up with the work for dialect too, getting people to break away from what they thought a black person was supposed to sound like. I want to ask another question about the Facebook post that you wrote or that you read at the beginning because it was such a strong way to start off our conversation and this phrase, representation matters, keeps ringing in my ears with that idea in the background, representation matters. And we think of, I'm going to say an arts community or a theater community in which that is not something that we need to say anymore because it's so embedded mm-hmm. it into the experience. Mm-hmm. What would that look like? What would an ideal state be? Well, I think an ideal state would be less of it just being a tagline uh. and to be actually something that has a plan. So, you know, it's you could say, oh, we have this goal, but how are you going to achieve it? And I, I guess that's kind of the, the main thing. It's that there needs to be a lot of thinking about what it means and planning on, you know, and, and I will say that um, Ashley Popio is really great about this. Like, for example, when we were um, doing auditions, right, um, she understood that it was important to be more flexible with times so that we could reach more people, right? Because 
for ex- you know, for example, someone with my background, it's really hard for me to show up during the workday. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and being able to understand that that flexibility was important. Um, she understood that, but I, I think that's something that very few people understand. They're just like, this is how it's always been done, so let's keep doing it. Right. And right. not seeing the consequences of that. Right. Yes. I'm, to- I'm totally on board with thinking of ways to invite other people into the work or making ways for people to be involved who who can't access the work because of their other life commitments mm-hmm. um, or for several other different reasons. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like one of the things that you're saying is that this is something that needs to be threaded from the beginning through the end mm-hmm. of production, mm-hmm. right? You can't just try and slap it on in the middle because mm-hmm. it's going to be clumsy. It's not going to fit right. People are going to be confused. There's going to mm-hmm. be some friction. Mm-hmm. But starting from the beginning with a plan that is intentional and thoughtful mm-hmm. and then having that permeate the ex- entire experience, which seems challenging and also really worth it mm-hmm. for all of the people involved. Mm-hmm. Yes. What's next for you? Well, um, I definitely want to go ahead and direct again. Right now I'm taking a little bit of a break. I'm, I was really happy to do Eclipse and for it to be you know, a success. That was great. Um, so it's definitely something that I want to do again. I, there are you know, a couple of scripts that I'm considering. So I may, may move forward to that with with that in 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I even want to, honestly, I would, would love to do Eclipse again, too. I know that you and I spoke during the last podcast interview about how odd it was that the regional premiere of Eclipsed was something that happened in 2018 when the play had been around for so long mm-hmm. um, that it was remarkable that, that local companies hadn't picked it up. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that moving forward? Do you think that we're going to see more variety in the work that is produced in this area? Like, was that a wedge for more experiences like this because the audience was so responsive? You guys had some sold-out shows. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned, mm-hmm. when I was there, people were really involved. Mm-hmm. Um, is this is this going to open up more opportunities? I hope so. You know, honestly, that's truly, truly my hope. Um, but in order for that to happen... The push has to be there. You know, like I said, I, I'm one of those people who never got to fit into a box. You know, I'm unfortunately, I got to the point where it's like, okay, well, I'm being pounded. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, if I'm going to do anything, I've got, I've got to move despite it. Mm-hmm. But then again, that's a rarity. You know, when, when faced with, I guess, a lot of adversity, you know, I'm, I'm a Horatio Alger scholar. So overcoming adversity is also very important to, you know, my identity and how I see myself. There's a reason why to be a Horatio Alger member is special mm-hmm. because it's hard. It's very, very hard to overcome a lot of challenges, especially when you don't fit into a box and you're alone. Yeah. So I think one thing that needs to be done is to look And if we want these changes to continue, to realize that if that's going to happen, that we may be the barrier. Like, we might have the best intentions at heart, but if we don't expand how we see the roles of people and see who people are, then we're going to just continue to perpetuate the problem. Like I said, I'd like to hope 
that that will change because I mean you know part of the thing was you know when I when I did Eclipse was looking and it's like why on earth <laughs> is is this in a situation where this is the regional premiere and no no one else has stepped up to the plate you know um, and I was in a situation where it's just kind of like I was sitting down and I'm just like oh well, you know surely someone else and then realizing that no it wasn't going to be someone else and you know I was willing to step up to the plate and to do what needed to be done but that's hard that's very very hard and it really takes a paradigm shift and paradigm shifts take time they take a lot of hard work um so I would hope to see such changes, but it will probably take a lot of work. And a lot of collective energy. Yes. Right? You can't, as you said, you can't do, one person can't carry the burden of making change for an entire community. So mm-hmm. it takes a lot of collective energy. And, and props to the Women's Theater Festival for producing um, for producing the work that they do to help, at least help the conversation and um, bring some of these plays into the light. Mm-hmm. And then also the um, the setup of expecting um, people just to come to you. So, like, you know, for example, it's like, yay, we are going to expand opportunities. And we're just going to expect <laughs> people to show up. Right. <laughs> right. And it's, you know, it, it's not going to work that way. You're going to have to work and put the effort in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things that was really significant to me, you know, with Ashley is that she believed in me. Um, that meant a lot. And, you know, even carrying it on, um, I also sometimes go to comic book, comic cons and comic books type stuff. So um, I went to a comic book event where they had these female, these young female artists. And, you know, they kept they kept focusing on that they weren't going to be able to have opportunities or the shortcomings of their work. And they were all very, very talented. And the thing that stuck out the most is, like, as far as their artwork, I bought some of it. And one of them actually was so excited she started crying. Mm-hmm. And it was because I believed in her. And we really need to step up. And as opposed to expecting people to show up, fit into our box, we have to show that we believe in them and expand who we are. Thank you so much for the conversation and for all that you do and for getting on your soapbox. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. Hey friends, I want to tell you about Shadowbox Studio, where this episode was recorded. Shadowbox Studio is Durham's flexible, rentable art and activity space. Shadowbox is perfect for video and photo shoots, recording podcasts like this one, and holding movie screenings, classes, spy club meetings, or whatever else you can dream up. Find out more at shadowboxstudio.org. And here's a secret. If you tell them you heard it on Artist Soapbox, you'll get a $25 discount on your first rental. Isn't that awesome?